What's up? It is I, Jonathan Smith, your host here at Shooting the Schmidt. Got a fun show planned for you today. Going to be talking the NBA draft. This is the first podcast I've done since Thursday when the draft took place. So we're going to be hitting on that. Paulo Bancaro going number one. Chet Holmgren going number two. Jabari Parker, or excuse me, Jabari Smith going at number three. And then we're talking free agents. Free agency, you know, Kyrie came out today and said he plans on opting into his $36.7 million option with the Nets. John Wall just got bought out by the Rockets. Looks like he's going to end up in L.A. Going to be breaking that down for you as well. Cannot wait to do it. But first, Double B, Bruce Buffer. Thank you, Bruce. Now we're going to get started here talking about the NBA draft. Not going to bore you too, too much. You probably heard a bunch of stuff on the draft already. But as a guy who had Paulo Bancaro number one on his big board, I just, I have to talk about it, you know, because he went number one, right? Like that, I think, is the story of the draft, just him going number one, because going into it, everybody had it as either Chet or Jabari, especially Jabari. He was the favorite for most of the time in Vegas to be the number one overall pick. He ends up sliding down to pick number three. But yeah, like, I'll just got to be honest here. Like, I'm glad to see that the best player in the draft went number one. He's a sure thing, okay? He cannot only initiate an offense as the primary ball handler right now, today. But he can also do stuff off the ball. He's going to help with their rebounding. He's just, I think he's going to fit really well with the Magic you know, just looking, especially at their offense last year, the Magic had the worst offensive efficiency rating in the NBA. I mean, they they were just bad. The second worst offensive rating, their lead scorer was Cole Anthony, who averaged 16 points a game. I mean, just it's just it's so hard to not have a guy on your team who can at least average 20 a game. I mean, the fact that their leading scorer barely averaged over 15 points a game just kind of tells you how much help they need offensively. And look, as much as you know, people love Jabari Smith, he wouldn't be able to give them the offensive kick immediately that Paolo Bancaro is going to give them. And he's only going to get better, especially as he improves the jump shot. Um, you know, I'm excited to see what Paolo does with Jalen Suggs, who didn't get to play this last year. You know, he got hurt. And if Suggs is anything like people think he can be, because remember, like last year, it was considered a four-player draft, or a three-player draft, excuse me, um, where the cutoff coming at pick number four, but the Raptors ended up taking Scotty Barnes over Jalen Suggs. Jalen Suggs falls to five, and he gets taken by the Magic. And he, like like I said, he didn't really get to play. So if he's as good as people are expecting him to be, him and Paolo together should be a lot of fun than running that pick and roll together. Paolo should be more than capable of being able to make passes and make plays off of the short roll. If that's what they want him to do, like I said, He's more than capable of initiating the offense as the primary ball handler. I'm excited to see him after he gets his jump shot developed. Okay, he was 34% from three at Duke. But, you know, he he took some bad shots. You know, if he can clean up his shot selection, his shooting percentages should go up. The shot looks good. We're not looking at, you know, Ben Simmons as a shooter. He's going to get better. The defense will get better. He just has to care. That's 80% of playing defense in the NBA anyway. Is just caring and wanting to be out there and wanting to play defense. And look, those things come over time, you know, especially, you know, when you get into the playoffs and everybody's really playing to win. 
I think we'll see the kind of defender that that Paolo can be. Chet goes number two to Oklahoma City, which is just the perfect fit for Chet Holmgren. You know, he's going to get to play off the ball. He's going to get to shoot threes, protect the rim, and have some opportunity to run the offense a little bit. But for the most part, he's going to be off the ball, which is what he needs to do. And that's what he's going to do for most of his career anyway. Like I said, I think he'll have some opportunities to initiate offense. But for the most part, he'll be off the ball. You know, he's also going to get to be the defensive anchor pretty early for Oklahoma City, and he could be their defensive anchor for a long time. You know, it'll be interesting to see how he defends the pick and roll. You know, his length length is going to help him, but not really sold on on the foot speed. Um, But at the same time, like, he went number two overall for a reason. You know, it's just going to be interesting to see how he develops because the ceiling for him is obviously really, really high just given everything he can do on offense. But, man, there's just... I just feel like there's a long way for him to go to get to that point. But, you know, if you want him anywhere to develop, it's definitely Oklahoma City right now. Moving on, pick number three, Jabari Smith, the knockdown shooter, really good defender. He's going to be great beside Jalen Green. You know, in some ways, I think this is going to be good for Houston, right? You know, Jalen Green's going to get to continue to develop as a primary as a primary ball handler for the next few years. You know, he's going to get to continue to, to develop his playmaking, as Jabari works on his ability to handle the ball, you know, and look, Jabari projects really, really well. It looks like the floor for him is going to be a Macau Bridges type, which is the kind of guy that you need to win a championship anyway. And look, that's a really good player to have on your team. And, you know, I, I said this, you know, in, in the pre-draft pod, you know, at, at like his top end, like where he hits his ceiling, he's a taller, longer version of Jalen Brown. And that's a great player to have on your team as well. So moving on to the winners of the draft, I've got three winners here that really stick out that I'm going to be really excited to watch this next year. Starting with the Pistons, the Pistons get Ivy at five. Should be a perfect pairing with Cade. Just, you know, Ivy's just going to get to be a guy who just just gets to go score. He didn't have to worry about running the offense or anything like that. We kind of saw him struggle with that some at Purdue. They got Jalen Duran as well at 11. Should be a really good rim runner and rim protector for a long time. Has some Robert Williams traits, right? Like that's going to be the hot, you know, comparison now with any big athletic center. You know, I'm not saying he's going to be Robert Williams, who was incredible this last year for Boston, but, you know, projects as a guy who's going to be a good rim runner and rim protector. The man, Detroit just got really interesting really quickly with a really good young core to build around especially in the backcourt between Ivy, who's another guy who can play make and create things off the dribble, the best athlete in this draft. Obviously, Cade, the number one overall pick last year, you know, 6'7", can run the offense, just a true point guard who can shoot. And then, obviously, Duran, who I just talked about with the rim running and rim protection abilities. You know, they are my my big winners of the draft. Next, I have Oklahoma City. And look, it's not hard to be the winner of the draft, or one of the winners of the draft when you have four picks, okay, and three of them are in the lottery, and one of them is the number two overall pick. So Oklahoma City is going to walk away with Chet Holmgren, Jalen Williams with the 12th pick out of Santa Clara, Usman Jiang, and Jalen Williams out of Arkansas, an absolute haul, three lottery picks who all project well. You know, they all three have high ceilings. Jalen Williams, I think, is going to be a fun player too. Watched him... You know, a lot at Arkansas this year as, you know, just being an Arkansas fan. He can do a lot on offense with his ability to pass the ball and play make. The question for me is, what's he going to do on defense? He kind of 
He could look slow at times. He's not an elite athlete, so it's not like he's going to be able to go up over the top and block shots. But, you know, he took a lot of charges and has just does all the dirty work, rebounds. You know, you need players like him, you know, on your team as well. He'll, he'll be a role player, if anything, in the NBA. Going to be interesting to see how he develops as well. And then my final winner is the Indiana Pacers. They're going to be really good here in a couple years. They get Benedict Matherin at six. Should be a great fit beside Halliburton, a guy who can go and get a bucket. Can also play off the ball. That's what he did his freshman year at Arizona. A lot of catch-and-shoot stuff. But he can also create offense. Very similar to Halliburton, right? Like Halliburton's a guy who can run your offense, but he played off the ball quite a bit in Sacramento. Like he can do both. So the Pacers have these two interchangeable guards who can either play with or without the ball, which is going to make them a lot of fun to watch. Like I said, Matherin already very good with the catch-and-shoot stuff. And then they grabbed Nimhard at pick number 31. He's He can also catch-and-shoot. You know, He was a guy at Gonzaga who shot the ball very well. Long, potential 3 and D guy. They should also be a lot of fun. Moved on to my losers here, and then we're going to wrap it up before we move into the free agency stuff with Kyrie and John Wall. I mean, the biggest loser of this draft and what feels like every draft for a really long time is the Sacramento Kings. They don't turn the fourth pick into, into anything, okay? Which is just unfathomable. Like, I, I just, I can't believe, one, that they didn't take Ivy, okay? I get that the fit isn't great, right? And that's what, you know, they were telling themselves and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, like, when you're that bad, who cares about fit? Like, just go grab the best player. Um, they could have traded down, okay? Like, we know this. There were reports that after the Pistons took Ivy at five, that they had trade offers for him. So the Kings had people on the phone, and they couldn't get a deal done. So they ended up getting taken Keegan Murray, who they could have gotten at, you know, six, seven, or eight. And I just, man, it's just, oh, man, I can't. I, I can't it's the Kings. I'm sitting here trying to act like I can't believe it, but it's the Kings. This is exactly what they do. They underachieve in every single aspect with their front office. The other loser that I have for this draft is the Portland Trailblazers. Now, look, they they take uh, they take Shaden Sharp at seven, who I love, by the way. But the reason why I'm saying that they're they're a loser here is because going into the draft, they were talking about how they wanted to win now. And Sharp is a guy who's not going to be able to contribute immediately. And you want to win now, and you're taking a guy who is going to be at least a year before we can kind of see what he does. You know, I just I just didn't think that that pick made a ton of sense for what they want to do. They could have traded out of it for, you know, role players or whatever, and then made a run at Kevin Durant. But, you know, we'll see, right? Like, these guys are, you know, supposedly smarter than me. So we're going to take a short break, and we when we come back, we're going to talk Kyrie and John Wall. And we're back with more shooting the Schmidt. Major, major reports coming out today about Kyrie Irving and John Wall, things that we've kind of been waiting on. So Kyrie is going to opt in with the Nets, according to a report from The Athletic. You know, c- congrats to the Brooklyn Nets, I guess, on getting another year to put up with the BS that Kyrie Irving loves to put his franchises through. You know, it- it'll be interesting to see how many games he's going to play you know, despite Kyrie opting in, there was one thing that shouldn't change that was kind of coming out of this. Because right, because so many stories came out and so many possibilities came out when Kyrie was talking about looking for a sign and trade. Right when he gave the Nets, you know, his list of six teams and nobody was interested except for the Lakers, and the Lakers just 
don't have enough capital to make a trade for a guy like Kyrie. So the Nets are like, no, like you can either opt out or opt in. Like those are your two options. And Kyrie's like, you know what? I, I think I'll take my $36 million over the potential like seven to 10 I'd get if I opted out. Very good choice on his part. But, you know, like I said, all of these stories start coming out. And one thing that should not change with Kyrie opting in is Kevin Durant should still look to leave. Brooklyn is filled with holes on their roster, and your second and third best players are as reliable as the McDonald's ice cream machine. Okay, Kyrie barely played last year. Ben Simmons didn't play at all. Okay, look, if Kevin Durant really wanted to, because it's the NBA, he could force his way out. He could go to Portland, where he'd get to play with Damian Lillard, who should be available for more than 25 games, unlike Kyrie Irving. Their third best player, Jeremy Grant, will actually be able to shoot the ball, unlike Ben Simmons, their current third best player. Okay, he's going to get to play with role players like Josh Hart and Justice Winslow, who can actually play defense, unlike any of the role players that the Nets have. Okay, the Nets are currently the third best team in the East, and unless they make a huge splash, they don't have a chance at catching the Bucks. No chance whatsoever. Okay, and if Kevin Durant were to go west, his path to a potential title would just be so much easier, right? The Suns are losing Aiton. The Lakers are old. The Mavericks don't have a second star. The Grizzlies are still kind of young. And there's a potential where the Warriors look old next year. And, you know, Kevin Durant and Damian Lillard are able to go in and beat them. I think he'd have an easier time in the Western Conference versus the Eastern Conference. And, yes, like, if, if I'm Kevin Durant, I would still look to leave just because it's just an absolute dumpster fire up there in Brooklyn. I mean, just the idea of having to put up with another season of Kyrie Irving and all the stuff that he does, being the Kanye West of the NBA, I just, if I'm Kevin Durant, I would not want to deal with it. That is the absolute last thing that I would want to do. John Wall has been bought out by the Rockets. And look, it's only a matter of days. By days, like, it could happen today, (laughs) honestly. Um, It's only a matter of days before the Lakers try and sign him, but it's already been reported that the Clippers are going to sign him. Okay, John Wall hasn't played a game since April 23rd of 2021. You know, during that 2020 to 2021 NBA season, Wall played 40 games for the Rockets, averaged 21 and 7. And so I'm kind of, I'm just going to break down kind of what he can do, what he would do for both the Clippers and the Lakers, starting with the Lakers. So, Look, he, he would be a very good addition for the Lakers, just another playmaker who's not named LeBron James. He's only 32, so he's younger than almost every other player on the Lakers team. But I, I would expect for him to struggle a little bit, especially early. And I think the biggest adjustment any good player has to make when playing with LeBron James, especially point guards who are used to running the offense, is they have to play without the ball whenever LeBron's on the floor because it's LeBron James. And if he wants to run the offense, he's going to do that. LeBron James should run the offense because he's the best player on that team. And I, I think this is part of the reason why Russell Westbrook struggled this last year. And Wall's going to have to make the exact same adjustment of having to play off the ball. But I don't know if John Wall necessarily has the skill set to do that. Okay, just because of his inability to, consi- to consistently shoot the ball. I mean, look, look, he hadn't played in a year. So maybe, you know, over the last year he's been in the gym taking a 1,000 shots a day or whatever. And, you know, he's been working on it. But just looking at, you know, the history of John Wall, he's only a career 32% three-point shooter. 
He's a slasher. Like, that's what he does. He gets to the rim. He goes by, he goes by guys, and he finishes above the rim. And he gets other players in, involved when doing so, doing all of the drive and kick stuff. We've never seen him have to play consistently without the ball in his hands. And in order to get minutes, when you don't consistently have the ball in the NBA, is to do two things. That's play great defense, which John Wall is more than athletic enough to do, and hit threes, which is something we have not seen him do. Like I said, maybe over the last year he's really been working on it. I'm not betting on it, though, which is why I think he would be a much better fit for the Clippers, just simply because he'd actually be able to be himself. Okay, He'd have the ball in his hands more. He would get to set up the offense for guys like Paul George and Kawhi Leonard because both of those guys are more than capable of playing without the ball in their hands. And, you know, the the role that he'd play for the Clippers is just, it's much more similar to the stuff that he did in Washington versus the role he's going to, he would have to play in LA or with the Lakers because that's just stuff that we haven't seen him do before. So, yeah, I, I think he'd stand a much better chance of, you know, playing well with the Clippers. I also think that he'd be on a better team if he went and play with the Clippers. You know, the, the Clippers roster is way better than the Lakers. And look, I don't want to tie my boat to the Clippers just yet for this next season. But they, I'm, I can say with confidence that they should be better than the Lakers unless, you know, some kind of injury happens to somebody. So that's going to do it here at Shooting the Schmidt. Plan on having another podcast for you up on Thursday. I think that's going to be kind of the plan until we get into football season, you know, posting a pod on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Yeah, so I'll be back again on Thursday with another take for you guys.